welcome to the Females in Motorsport podcast. This is your host, Manvi. Today, we have with us motorsport writer and content creator, Katie Fairman, on the show. Katie has been working in motorsport for over six years now, a period which has seen a lot of changes in the sport. And today, we're going to be diving into the impact of those changes in the world of media and other things. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to get into it and talk about all of these amazing topics. Yay, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How have you been doing with this little mini summer break we've been having in Formula One? It's been okay. I've actually found that in this mini break, I've been busier than when there was no racing. So for me, behind the scenes, it's been quite manic, but I am also desperate to get some racing back in my life. So Yeah, yeah. And I'm just counting down the days to April 28th, 29th. Um, well, so I have been following you for some time, but my intro to you was via WTF1 when I used to hear you on the podcast, but I know you worked at various outlets even before that and you started more like in 2016, 2017, and now you're obviously contributing for Formula E and doing all these other crazy, amazing things. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about how did this all come about and when was the day like you were like, yes, this is what I want to pursue and I love motorsport. This is my passion. I want to work in motorsport now. Yeah, well, I'd always been a fan of motorsport. I've got my dad to blame for that, like many people. You know, I'd spend a lot of time watching the races with him when I was a kid. And uh, I'd soon remember like who all the drivers were, what their nationalities were, you know, the teams they drove for, the teams that they previously drove for. Like I was becoming a little uh, stat book myself. And then um, I'd always wanted to to go and be a teacher since I was tiny, since I started school. And that was kind of the goal that I always held from being like five years old until I was like 16, 17. Um, but then I did my A-levels in the UK, which is like the level before university. And um, I worked really hard at this first year. But for some reason, I just don't gel very well with exams. They're just not my thing. So I got my results back and they were not good. So I had the option given to me of you can either retake your year and try again and see how you get on or you can carry on and bearing in mind all my friends passed so they were all going to be going into second year you can carry on but work twice as hard and try and equal your grade up to be something that's going to be you know suitable for university and I decided to redo the year but in that summer break that we had I decided to create a blog about Formula One because I was bored. I didn't have much to do. One of my friends had just created a blog about makeup and she was really enjoying it. And she was like, you should start one. Like, it's just good fun. Like, And I said, OK, well, I like Formula One, so I'll, I'll start there. And uh, the kind of the rest is history. So I redid that year. And instead of picking topics and subjects that would have been suitable for going into teaching, I thought, well, maybe I'll try and do things a little bit differently. So I'll go for like media studies, for example, instead of something like maths or geography. And uh, yeah, from there, like the passion just kept going and building. And um, I decided that after a little while, actually, no, I think this is what I want to do. I really love Formula One and motorsport and writing about it. And that creative freedom was something that I hadn't really had before. And so, yeah, that was kind of a very elongated story as to how I got into writing about motorsport. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. I was talking to somebody about it only earlier today. And we were sort of saying that, like, 
everything I'm, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and I really think that like me failing <laughs> that year of A-levels although it's not you know something I should be shouting about because it's not great on paper um, but without that I would have probably never have done any of this and gone on to be a teacher and I don't know how happy I would have been like I have so much respect for teachers and my cousin is a teacher and stuff like that but I just love my job so much that it scares me a bit to think like what if I never discovered this avenue or this passion in my life and so yeah I'm glad in many weird ways that that's what happened but no I love that I kind of feel I'm kind of in the middle of that right now because for me I don't work in world sport full time I work in PR and media and journalism I mean I don't work in journalism but I work in media and PR and I discovered Formula One just a few years ago and now I truly just cannot get enough of motorsport. And I'm just like, what would like what would my life be today if I did not discover my love for females in motorsport and motorsport in general? I think, obviously, this is not my full-time job, but it takes a lot of my day. But it's it's great, like because you pursue it like a passion project. And I think those are the things that really keep you up at night. You're just thinking about them all the time and how you can, you know, how you can do better. And even with the podcast, I'm always thinking, you know, who else can I have? What other conversations I can have? Those are things I'm thinking about all day and I love it. And it, yeah. it does make me feel like, yes, everything happens for a reason because I think I discovered the sport for a reason because without that, I don't know what I'd be doing half of my day these days. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think there are going to be lots of people listening that feel that exact same way. It's crazy how you can go from maybe not having something in your life and then, you know, I know that there's been a huge wave of fans through things like Drive to Survive and I see so many people, like men and women, that are thinking, what what did I do with my life before motorsports came into it? Right. Because it's so all-consuming as well, which is, I love that element of it, but yeah, it is wild. But it's so great that it can bring so much joy and happiness to so many more people now as a result of things like that, so yeah. All-consuming is the right word, I would say, because there is also so much to learn. Because it's not a sport you can learn in school or, you know, any other place. You have to learn everything from scratch. And there is so much to learn. And there's so many other things you can do within motorsport. So it really is all-consuming, which, again, I love as well. It's just, it's literally like riding a bike. You know, it's like you have to learn everything again. And then when you love it, you just love it. Yeah. Totally. I think that's a great way of explaining it. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have worked in motorsport and media for a very long time now, been almost or maybe over six years now. And there's a lot of things that have happened since before that. Then Drive to Survive has come up. Content creators have been um, doing so great and such an amazing job in explaining the sport to newer fans. How, in your opinion, has that impacted the world of Formula, of Formula One media? Yeah, well, I can remember I've been on Twitter, I think, probably since about 2009. And I was like one of the I'm not going to say like an OG, because there were definitely loads of other people on Twitter at the same time as me. But um, coming from like 2010, 2011 F1 Twitter, and how there weren't really many of us on there. Like there were the occasional people who actually funny enough, some of them even now like have made it into motorsport full time so it's quite nice that there's like a little group of us that had the passion to work in there and it's actually ended up working that way um but yeah I remember when I created this blog for example back in 20 
13 so it's going to be the 10 year anniversary of that blog this year which is crazy um but like I was sharing about it and writing about it and there weren't that many people out there that had like their own independent blogs that were writing about Formula One obviously you still had like people that like Autosport or BBC or The Independent, like all these big names that were writing about Formula One. I'm not trying to say that I invented writing mm-hmm. about Formula One because I didn't. <laughs> but in terms of like independent content creation, there weren't really that many people on the scene. And like you say, thanks to things like Drive to Survive or just Formula One expanding, going to different countries and, um, you know, the championship, especially in 2021, you know, Drive to Survive helped, but like that was such an amazing Hollywood storyline. Um, throughout the whole season, you had crazy winners, you had this dramatic title fight with Max and Lewis, and people naturally gravitated towards that because it was just so awesome and amazing bit of sport. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a huge change in the way that F1 media operates. Podcasts weren't really a thing when I was starting out, like they've become so popular um like you were kind of mentioning things like TikTok there are so many amazing people who have just basically set up a camera in their bedroom and are talking about Formula One and learning things as they go which is so refreshing and it like I think that's the key word of like this whole change of the way the landscape has been is it has it's seen a massive refresh because although you know don't get me wrong there are people that have been working in that paddock for years and like decades even and they are entitled to their opinions they've got so much of wealth of knowledge they've got like a really good relationship with drivers PRs and stuff because they've been doing it for such a long time but sometimes you find that because they've been there for such a long while and they know everything there is to know they don't really have that kind of outlook that maybe a new fan would have they might think that fans just want to know about diffusers on the back of a car when the reality is people want to know what Max Verstappen's cats are called you know like it's there's such a change of the way that content has been like skewed and so by having these new fans come in and new people within the media landscape it's been like a big breath of fresh air and we're seeing so much more diversity coming in and it's just like yeah I'm really happy that that change has has reached Formula One because it was well overdue yeah yeah it seems like it's getting more and more creative by the day where to see so many different content creators doing so many different kinds of content which you just regularly would not see in traditional media and i think it's also helping engage with so many more different communities and so many different new fans and it's coming to the realization that not everybody has to engage with the sport in the exact same way we can all love the sport in different ways and there's nothing wrong with that Exactly. That is the key thing here. I think for quite a lot of new people, they might come into it and think, oh, well, I don't know too much about the technical regulations. And maybe they're going to feel like slightly victimized because they don't know about that. But they might have an interest in the kind of outfits that Lewis Hamilton wears in the paddock. Or they might want to know more about the nutrition side, like what does a driver eat in a day? Things like that. Like there's such a variety of things, as you say, to sort of learn about Formula One and other motorsports that uh, there's it's to a point now where there's almost a content creator for whatever your niche is, whatever you, you're interested in, there will be somebody out there that's creating content to, to feed that. And so that's something that we've not really had before. Like obviously the internet and stuff has developed a lot since then as well. 
So you can just search things quite easily on Google now compared to like, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, but I love it. I, I'm such a sucker for like going on uh, TikTok or Instagram or Twitter, whatever it may be. And I'm always just scrolling and scrolling and absorbing all this amazing creative content. Um, and yeah, it's great to see uh, industries like that thriving. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a world where traditional media and content creators would intersect in a way and work together and produce content together? Um, I think so. I think a lot of traditional media have kind of had to change with the times. You know, like I was saying, you've now got podcasts for these big um, publications like the Autosport podcast or F1 themselves have a podcast. And you've also then got a team of people that are specifically there to help make YouTube videos or reels or TikToks or whatever it may be. So I think the traditional media are realizing that that's kind of where a lot of the audience lies now um because as much as i love to sit down and read a magazine or a feature online a lot of people might not have the time to do that or might not have the attention span to do that and that's not a criticism because you know i was just saying i scroll through instagram and i'm like watch two seconds of a video and i'm like nope next one <laughs> so like i completely i'm on their side with it but yeah, I think that um, we've got to be a little bit careful because if people can't keep the, you know, concentration on a, an article or a feature or something like that, then they're more likely to think, oh, I'd much rather watch the YouTube video on how DRS works in Formula One car than read like a 2000 word article or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think that I'm a little bit worried about how like print media and like that kind of traditional media is going. But um yeah, it's it's a difficult like set of scales to balance. <laughs> it is, it is. It is interesting. And I feel like um, a lot of Formula One teams, especially I think Aston Martin does this very well, that they're really yes. engaging with content creators. And we're seeing a lot of um, crossover and partnerships and things like that, which is great. Um, but I also wonder if, yes, if traditional media is going to help, you know, tap into content creators a little bit more. Um, I know you're working with Formula E right now. Do you think from it, like this new era of content creators and this new era of fandom is also spilling into other series like Formula E? Definitely. I mean, um, with Formula E, I've seen such a, a growth of fans that have started watching it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an influencer of any sorts, but I went to an event the other week and somebody said to me, I've started watching Formula E because of you. And I was like, really? That's that's very kind. Thank you very much. And there's also... Oh, you're fully influenced. Well, it's <laughs> a scary thought, but um, <laughs> there's also an amazing content creator called uh, Live Laugh Lids, um, who she makes amazing content. I adore her. I think she's wonderful. And she was posting on her Instagram over the weekend. And the amount of people that had tagged her saying, you've made me watch IndyCar and get into IndyCar this season and stuff like that. So you know, that kind of fan base is spilling out into other motorsport series as well, which is awesome to see because I know at the start of the podcast, you know, we're going, oh, it's so long until the F1 is back and all this kind of stuff. But there is so much else out there, which I think is really important to sort of stress, whether that is Formula E, which I know I'm slightly biased, but I think is wonderful. Like the amount of talent in that championship is insane. Like the technological advances that they've gone through, like we're only on season nine and we've already we're in our third generation of car like it's changed so dramatically from Beijing in 2014 when we had our first race to now um and 
there's so many different elements and things to learn about in that championship. Obviously, they're all electric and that's completely different to what you would get in Formula One, for example. So there's always learning to, to be done. But yeah, I think that lots of I see lots of like Stan accounts and stuff like that for the Formula E content. Um, and yeah, I think that the uh, the massive influx of motorsport fans are, uh, are like I say, spilling over into other championships. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also makes sense in, in the way that Formula E and IndyCar and other race series can give you different things that Formula One does. For example, I think what I'm thinking of right now is sometimes it's much closer racing mm-hmm. than Formula One. And I think that can be a big, big draw because I feel like that was my biggest draw when I started watching IndyCar. The biggest change I noticed with IndyCar was that the racing is much closer than Formula One. And while my heart will always be in Formula One because I'm biased, because that's how I got into motorsport series, I think that's why I've really enjoyed uh, watching IndyCar and same with Formula E because there's so much more newness now. There's so much more to learn with every passing season with Formula E. Like you said, there's so many changes happening all the time. And then they also have this big partnership with Girls on Track. So I love to see how Formula E is also developing. And then I think with Formula One, there's it, ha- it has this legacy of so many years, but I think sometimes that because of that, you also know, kind of, with the exception of 2021, you kind of know which way the championship is going to go for the most part, at least when you're halfway into the season. So I think Formula E and IndyCar and other series sometimes give you that advantage of giving closer racing and just newer developments and something you wouldn't expect, basically. Totally. I mean, even in Formula E this season, uh the Porsche powertrains looked like they were going to be storming for the championship. You had Jake Dennis, who has a Porsche powertrain in the back of his Avalanche Andretti. He got the first win. Then Pascal Verlein did what only four people have ever done in Formula E history, which is win both events of a doubleheader. So he became the fifth person to do that. And after that, people were like, oh, well, they're miles ahead of everyone else. They've, they've got this in the bag. And although we're going into Berlin and we've had like another three races since then, and Pascal is still somehow clinging onto that top of the championship, there've been so many things like Pascal managed to have a crash. I think it was in um, Cape Town or like, you know, all of these different issues. And so nothing is guaranteed in, in Formula E, whether that's like whoever's leading the race might not be leading the race in a few laps time, or there might be this issue or that, or, uh, the racing is just insane. So, uh, yeah, I, I I do like that a lot about Formula E. I mean, I'm sure the drivers might like a bit more stability because sometimes you go into a season finale and you've got like 15 drivers that could somehow win the championship. And although that's awesome from like a, a fan perspective and like I love that about it, um, sometimes it can be a bit confusing when you've got like Formula One and let's say Max Verstappen or somebody has like wrapped up the championship with seven races to go or something. And then you go to Formula E and they're like, how come that many people going into like the last few races can win the championship? But it just shows like how close the racing is. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, now I know you mentioned that Formula E is in its ninth season again, very, very new compared to other series. What, in your opinion, are the pros and cons of this novelty from a media perspective, as well as um, a reader or an audience perspective? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with some of the cons. And that is that, like, for a lot of places, maybe we haven't raced there before. So in terms of getting, like, archive and history 
that can be quite a difficult narrative to like bring people in like for Berlin for example this weekend we've been there since season one so you've got like a huge long list of things that we can create whether that's like the best Berlin winners the best overtakes the best this the best that like it's ready to go you can just package it up with a nice little bow and send it out whereas if you're going somewhere like Sao Paulo which formerly had never raced at um, that's a different story. So I guess sometimes in terms of that from like an editorial perspective can be a bit of a challenge, um, especially going into a weekend. Like we had three on the bounce where we'd never raced there before. The tracks were amazing, don't get me wrong, but like it might be a little bit more challenging to sort of like tell people, just trust us, this is going to be a great race. Like it's super quick and it's a little bit dangerous and all this kind of stuff. Like it's going to be diff more difficult to sometimes get people to come in like if you showed them a highlight reel of like the best moments of Rome for example so that's probably a con but in terms of the pros I think the pros definitely outweigh the cons in terms of that um because yeah like the, the development is so rapid uh whether that's like in terms of the actual organization of a race weekend you know we've gone from having two cars for each driver and they have to do a mid race car swap because the batteries would run out to then having a car that lasts an entire distance so you're like okay well we've got to change the strategy up because in Formula E as well they have one set of tyres for the whole race whether that's if it rains if it's dry if uh, you know you don't have like a soft compound a hard compound like you've got to add that strategy element and Formula E have been really good in coming up with these ideas whether that is like attack mode or something like that you also have the fan boost up until this season so they're not afraid to try new things which I think is really refreshing and actually something that Formula One went the longest time without having any real shake-ups which I think is a reason why so many people sometimes myself included don't get me wrong that you've then got um, people like Stefano Domenicali feels like every other weekend being like I want to change this I want to add this I want to take away and you're like hang on a minute mate We've just had like hardly anything change for like the last decade. But then you compare it to like another FIA championship, like I say, like Formula E, where we're constantly going through change and evolution. So there's definitely uh, pros and cons to both. But I enjoy that kind of like fast pace. You never really know what's going to be next in Formula E, which is makes it super exciting. Yeah. That's an interesting point, because this is making me think of, again, Stefano Domenicali saying that he wants to change the free practice format, and F1 Twitter is just not having yeah. it. And I think we were all, it was like a big thing, it was a big point of discussion, because I think like you mentioned, things just don't change that often. So when something does get introduced, some idea floats by, we're all like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Why do we want to do this again? Can someone explain this to me? But for something like Formula E, which is constantly in development and a newer series, that it's almost like you're looking forward to seeing how the changes will go, as opposed to being like, no, we have not changed in decades and decades, and there's no need to change this now. There's, I guess there's more openness to change and development. No, definitely. I think so. I mean, even in Formula E, you know, they have two 30-minute practice sessions over a weekend and then you've got qualifying on the same day as the second practice and then you have the race on the same day as qualifying so like everything is packed into one short time frame whereas in formula one everything is stretched out over three four days sometimes if you want to include like a media day um so yeah the formula e schedule is very different 
but then at the same time you have less time for practice and then you're straight into quality straight into the race and maybe that's why it makes for better racing because there's less time to prep get the data all of that kind of stuff so and I don't sit there going oh I wish practice in Formula E was another hour like I think half an hour is just perfect timing for it so who knows maybe that's going to be Stefano Domenicali's next plan half an hour practice yeah that'll be it but then he won't get many bums on seats so he's kind of got he's got a difficult game to play of like keeping people at the track and making them come for practice but then also yeah not making it like just practice 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 all the time Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Formula One is going through a lot of changes right now. And I think it's it's very interesting to see how the sport's going to develop in the next five to seven years. There's so many new tracks coming up. There's so many more introductions in new countries, so many newer partners. There's a lot happening. So um, I'm excited to see how the sport develops in the next few years and how that spills into other series as well, like IndyCar, Formula E. I think the biggest change or biggest development I've seen is that with Drive to Survive and people seeing how popular Drive to Survive got and how that helped the explosion of Formula One. So many other series are doing docu-series of their own and documentaries of their own. And I think that's great because, I mean, yes, like I am always going to be partial towards traditional media because that's just like where my heart lies. But I think watching something is a totally different kind of learning. Mm -hmm. And I think some people just learn that way and get into a sport that way. And you just can't outdo it that. And I think seeing that popularity go into Formula E, IndyCar, and I think it's just going to keep growing and growing now. Yeah, I totally agree. I wasn't normally like a documentary kind of person, but I've been getting into a few more recently. Like I tried the break point. Like I'm a big fan of tennis, but I don't give it the, the time and the attention that I should because I'm just so normally doing so much motorsport stuff that I don't get a chance to just stop and watch a tennis match. Um, but yeah, like I really enjoyed Breakpoint um, and there have been a few other things away from motorsport that I've watched. And yeah, like sometimes you can't really, you can't like do it, do much worse than like putting on a good documentary and getting absorbed into that. Um, and then it's the same thing, like whether you're watching, I watched the one about the Malaysian airline, um, the plane that went missing. Mm, I did. Yeah. And like even from that, it was a decent documentary, but I'm still like Googling stuff afterwards, looking things up. And I can see like from watching Formula One or whatever kind of documentary, if you're watching it in motorsport, you could do exactly the same. You might be like, oh, so actually they kind of mention that driver a little bit, but like, where do they grow up? Like, when do they come into Formula One? You know, all this kind of stuff. So um, I can totally see how so many people have fallen in love with motorsport thanks to those documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is your favorite thing, if you were to pick only one, about working in media and motorsport, apart from it being, you know, your passion? My favorite thing is I really love meeting new people. And that, so the interviewing aspect of it, I find really rewarding. Um, so, yeah, like hearing from people, their sort of highs and lows and I really like just enjoy getting to know a person kind of away from that like racing driver profile that we often see over a race weekend and just hearing about their normal kind of day to day or that kind of stuff. So for me, that's probably my favorite part of it is, yeah, the interviewing process. And that's something that I wasn't able to do much of when I was at WTF1, for example. And so going and doing free like being freelance and stuff 
I wanted to make sure that I could take on opportunities where I could be back in paddocks, back interviewing drivers and team personalities and stuff like that, um, because that's a, a skill and a, a thing that I really missed. So thankfully, I have been given a few opportunities to do that both in Formula E and also Formula One later this season. So that's going to be very exciting. I'm going to be working with Sports Illustrated um, over the season. Yeah, so that's uh, that's super exciting. So hopefully I'm going to be able to get myself into the Formula One paddock and get to speak to some Formula One drivers face to face. There's going to be 20 editions of this Q&A series that I'm doing for them. Um, and yeah, so it's going to be involving talking to a lots of people within Formula One. So that's extremely exciting because for the longest time, yeah, I've like sat and watched from a distance or worked on other championships. But to be able to get time with drivers in Formula One, which lots of people say is the pinnacle, is going to be super exciting. So I can't wait to get started with that. That's so exciting. I'm so excited for you. you so On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you wish Sebastian Vettel was still in the tank? I was like, how can I find a way to get an interview with him? But I'm sure, like, I'm also like, babe, go live your life. It's fine. I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, that would have been box ticking if there was a chance for Seb to still be in the paddock and to get to a chance to interview him. Um, but there are going to be, hopefully, some people that I get to speak to that I've... Um, you know got a lot of respect for and have done for a long period of time so uh yeah getting having a chance to get to meet those people is something that is also like an amazing part of my job obviously you've got to keep some sort of professionalism but for some people you like meet them and you're like oh my gosh like I'm such a huge like you you have to be a little bit of a fan I don't think it's possible for you especially in this current like climate of content creators and people being passionate like I don't think you can, you'll get found out so easily if you work in this industry and you don't care and you don't get excited about the Formula One cars and the drivers and all this kind of stuff. Like the the passion is what keeps me going for a lot of it because it is it is a difficult thing. And like to try and balance, lots of people might think, oh, working in motorsport must be easy because it's just, you just go to all around the world and speak to these drivers. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that can be quite mentally taxing um but yeah then when you get opportunities like that it makes it all a bit it makes it worth it for sure yeah I can't wait to see this I'm so excited for you congratulations thank you very much yay okay now before we wrap up we're gonna go into a little rapid fire section and this time we're gonna mix it up a little bit we're gonna do a fantasy dinner guest edition I have never done this before but I think this can be this can be fun okay sounds good Awesome. So, it's your fantasy dinner party, Katie. Which three guests are you inviting? So, is this in or out of motorsport? Can I mix the two? Anyone you want. Okay. So, there is one person that I just have this admiration and, like, adore them. And it's so random, but it's Brian Cranston, (laughs) who lots of people might know from Breaking Bad. I think it's because of the nostalgic, like, I used to love watching Malcolm in the Middle and he was part of that. And he's always looks like he's a good laugh when he goes on talk shows. And I've read his book and he seems like a, a good person to be around. So number one is going to be Brian Cranston. I then think that we should chuck some motorsport in there. So I'm going to say 
somebody like Daniel Ricciardo I feel like that's the kind of just get out of jail free card like it's quite an easy one to go for but he seems like a good laugh uh, and somebody that would be a good fit for that dinner party and then I feel like I need somebody who maybe is a musical talent so I'm trying to think who I could pick I went um it's quite a niche one, but I went recently to go and see Paolo Nettini, who's one of my favourite musical artists, and I think he's just so mega talented. So I might go for somebody like that, who's a bit bit niche. Some of the audience might have not have a clue who that is, um, but yeah, at least he can like serenade the whole group between meals or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds fun. This sounds like a fun dinner party. All right, what are you serving at this dinner party? I can't cook, so we might have to do a takeaway. <laughs> or if I am cooking, uh, there's only a very few things that I can cook, and they're quite basic. So it probably have to be like, if I'm cooking spaghetti and meatballs, which isn't very exciting. Um, but if we're going to do a takeaway, then something like a Chinese or an Indian like curry or something like that would be nice. That's always a good like takeaway food. So yeah, I'll go for something like that. I, I could volunteer and cook for this dinner party if you want. Because I can cook. Oh, amazing. So I can come cook some Indian food for you. Amazing. It's a deal. <laughs> I'll save this spot. Oh, my God. Okay. What is the one question or topic that you want to just straight up ask on the table? Hmm. If, if I want to ask something that's going to generate a lot of conversation, I guess something that maybe is like, what's <laughs> this could be a dangerous topic to consider what's a conspiracy theory you believe in or something like that I feel like that would generate a lot of conversation um yeah or there's something that I've seen on Instagram recently to do with like meet cutes and so it's like somebody going around New York and asking people are you a couple and if so how did you meet and everyone has like the most adorable story I mean it makes me feel so eternally alone <laughs> I feel so <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. That's so cute. This is my biggest fear of walking out in New York. Someone's going to come to me and ask me a question and I'm just going to be like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, my life is really boring, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But maybe something like that. How did you meet your current partner or like that kind of thing? They normally always generate like a really wholesome, sweet story. So maybe something like that. But um, yeah, maybe let's go for the conspiracy one because I'm sure that there's going to be some wacky things out there. <laughs> That sounds really fun, actually. I would I would love to see what everybody says because I think everybody would have such different answers. Mm. And I think that could be, that could make for some really good conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll have to ask Daniel Ricardo if I get a chance to meet him in person, what his conspiracy theory that he believes in is. So at least we'll, we'll know one answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I can't wait to hear that one. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, Katie, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure having you on. I'm so happy that we finally got to connect and do this podcast together. And I'm really excited for how your season pans out. It looks like you have some really exciting things in the works. Thank you so much, lovely. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, and just want to say, like, keep doing all the amazing work that you're doing, um, both yourself and the other team at Females in Motorsport. You know, it's been such a good place to find all of the incredible stuff that women are up to in motorsport and you don't have to look very far to find some incredible role models and stuff like that but yeah it's a really refreshing uh home for all of that kind of stuff so I'm very grateful that you guys put that all together thank you
Thank you so, so much. Before we jump off, do you want to tell everybody where they can find you, your social, their website, anything you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm probably most active on Instagram and Twitter. So Twitter is at Katie Fairman. So my name, and that's Katie with a Y because I had to be complicated. Um, and then Instagram is at Katie Motorsport. Um, and then I've also got my own podcast, which is Small Talk Podcast, but the talk is spelled the talk of like a race car. So T-O-R-Q-U-E. Um, but yeah, they're kind of the places that you can find me if you want to hear me ramble on about other things in motorsport, then yeah, there we are. Yeah, and from Females in Motorsport, we highly recommend the podcast. We've included it in, in uh, many of our lists and it's a really good listen to. So definitely go check it out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And thanks so much, Katie, again. No worries. Hopefully you all enjoy the episode.